We're going to start off with a little quiz. How many of you thought the beginning of this gospel lesson kind of sounded like last week's story? Yeah, a few of you who came two weeks in a row. Yeah, good job. So this week, we hear a gospel lesson that harkens back to the story in the different gospel that we heard last Sunday, where Jesus shows up. This is really the beginning of his public ministry. There's been the baptism in the wilderness, and he shows up at the synagogue, more or less in his hometown. And as they read the scripture, as Jesus reads the scripture about the prophecies regarding the Messiah, he says to everyone listening, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. So we need to put all this in context because it's important to understand what's really going on in this gospel lesson. So put yourself in the shoes of the Jewish people in the first century. They have inherited a tradition in which they read the scriptures, they read their holy stories every time they gather for worship, not unlike what we do now. We heard last week in our God story lesson in Sunday school an incredible connecting story about how the exile impacted the way that Jews worshiped. For hundreds of years after the exile, after they returned from exile, rebuilt their temple, the Jews went to their synagogues in their different places, and they actually read from the stories that were written down in the exile. They recalled all of the good things that had happened to them over time. And that began a pattern that continued for decades and centuries until we get to this moment. What they were really reading is all of the prophecies around the messianic promise of God. That means life is not as good as we think it should be or that we hope it should be. God knows, and so we'll send a savior. We'll send a messiah. They told that story over and over again, over and over again. And on this day, as they read those scriptures, Jesus said, this has been fulfilled. Then they talked well about him for a second. But as we see, Jesus was not satisfied with a little push. And so Jesus pushes harder. And he begins to tell them, this does not mean that you get to do everything that you have been doing. Things will change. Things will change for the better. But even though things might change for the better, what do the people do? They got mad. They got so mad, they looked at Jesus and they said, well, who does he think he is? Because remember, they knew this guy, right? Who is this kid who is now telling us things are going to change and bring us the Messiah? So rather than just arguing with him, they gather him up and they push him out. They run him out of town. They run him to a cliff and they try to push him over the cliff and kill him. But in what I think is kind of a funny moment, Jesus passes between them and disappears like a magician, right? Like, poof, I'm gone. But the point remains... Jesus came in and said, things are going to change. And how do you think they responded to that change? Now, we might hear this story and think it's almost ridiculous how the Jewish people would have responded to this. They spent centuries being told about this promise, reminded of this promise, hoping for a Messiah. Centuries. And here Jesus is saying, it's time. And yet, how did they respond? They weren't happy. They didn't like that Jesus was bringing change into their midst. People don't like change. Shocker. We, as a church, know this. 
what do we really do every Sunday? We come together and we get to see each other. When we catch up with, we, with each other, we might chat about our lives, tell stories about the week, maybe support one another in prayer. All of that is really good, but what really are we doing here? We are coming together because God promised us that the world will change, that God will bring about his kingdom on earth at some point. We should be reminding ourselves of that story, hoping that that change will come. But if it did come, how many of us would have responded differently than the Jews in that synagogue in today's gospel lesson? So before this sermon, I went into Google, and you know how Google has those autofill things as you do searches? I wrote, or I typed, people don't like, you know what the first autofill is? Change. <laughs> we don't like it. We like predictability and comfort. We like consistency. We would even, and this is proven, choose painful reality if it was consistent over something that was healthy if it was unpredictable. Humanity is, has a problem with the kind of dynamism that God offers us, not just 2,000 years ago, but today as well. We hear from Jeremiah, one of those prophets, in our first lesson today, and we have a line in there that I'm certain most of you have heard before. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Now, I don't know about you, but when we were preparing to welcome our first child, every time we went to the OB's office, that quote was plastered in big letters on one of the walls in the waiting room. Because it kind of feels nice, right? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Man, that's nice. That feels good. It's a warm and fuzzy. Except that's not the whole quote. Jeremiah says, God appointed us prophets to the nations. Oh, crap. <laughs> God knew us. That feels good. God formed us in the womb. Man, that's nice. God appointed us a prophet to the nations. Wait a minute. We don't, we don't, we don't really like that kind of thing. Prophets to the nations makes us uncomfortable because we like just sitting. We like receiving. We don't really want to be sent out to be change agents. And yet, God has consecrated not just some of us, but all of us with specific gifts in order to be prophetic, in order to spread the good news to all nations, it necessarily begs the question, how then do we live if God has consecrated us to that kind of life? You know, I always feel for my children because they're preacher kids. And the other day, we were having a conversation about how you decide what is right and wrong how you actually make choices for the good, just as I'm sure all of you do with your young children, right? So as we're having this conversation, I said, you basically have two choices. One, you decide what's right and wrong by how you feel. However you live your life, you have that just gut feeling that this 
or that is right or wrong, and then you follow that right path. Choice two. Choice two is that we use a guide of some sort that is separate from us in order to show us what is right and what is wrong. Now, most of the world likes option one. They like to just feel it in their gut because most of the world, and that does include most of us, are, without any judgment, self-centered. We are made that way. We are made to protect ourselves and defend ourselves and live lives that keep our reality consistent. And so we like just feeling it, right? That kind of feels good, that kind of feels bad, and we try to be good people based on those feelings. But what God offers us is really option two. God offers us a way to determine what is right and wrong, what is good, how we are to live. God offers us Jesus Christ with a very simple parameter around our lives. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And man, loving your neighbor as yourself is rarely logical, rarely convenient, and very rarely easy. And yet, that is actually how God has offered us a way to live the good life, to be able to determine right and wrong. God roots everything that we are to do in the idea of love, and in that idea of love, he stretches us and challenges us and pushes us every day to actually live a life that is probably not the life we would choose on our own. And we are all comfortable in our own ways, it is true. We like to be settled in predictable patterns, yes, that is true. But Jesus is calling us to be shaken, to be shaken into something new. Jesus is calling us to live a better life, a different life, a life transformed by the radical truth of God, the radical truth of love. Today, we are reminded that we, in our own humanity, do not always respond to that vision well. And so Jesus is calling each one of us. How will we answer? Will we answer and define our lives by focusing on ourselves and what we like in our gut? Or will we make that hard, transformative choice to actually follow the path Jesus sets before us? It's not easy and it's not convenient. And yet, God promises a transformation beyond our wildest imaginations. We were made to be with God. And as God calls us, I hope we will all be open to be guided by the power of the Spirit. God knows our hearts. And I pray we are all willing to follow. Amen.